Our Bible reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 to 43. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Verse 36. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of our Father. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Notwithstanding the events in Europe, we're sticking with the uh, routine you have, the project you have of going through the parables of Jesus. Thanks so much for the wheat and the tares, whoever gave me that one. God bless you. There we are. But thanks so much for your reading. 2002, there was a film directed by Steven Spielberg. It was called Catch Me If You Can. The lead actor was Leonardo, or Mr. DiCaprio, and he took the lead part. It was poetic license on the true story of a chap called Frank Abnegale, who was an excellent con man and a counterfeit artist. If you ever get the chance to see the film, it's extremely good. He was a doctor. He was a lawyer. He was a co-pilot with Pan Am. And he forged numerous checks and became very wealthy. And Tom Hanks was a detective in the film who was charged with uh, finding him, which eventually tracked him down. It's a super film. Counterfeit. Thanks for your children's talk. That's where we're going this morning. Context. Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. Jesus and his disciples have left the house. They've gone down to the lake. And as always when Jesus is preaching, there's hundreds, if not thousands of people are coming around to listen to him. And gradually Jesus has been forced back. So what does he do? He goes into a boat. He eases himself out onto the lake. And as you know, sound carries very well over water. And he was communicating with the folks who were up in the hillside going through these numerous well-known parables. This isn't the most well-known one, but it's certainly one that he taught. 
And then in verse 36, if you read it carefully, what happened was this. They left the crowd and they went into the house with his disciples. You know, churches think that we developed house groups. We didn't. Long before the church was established, Jesus Christ had a house group here with his disciples in that room and he was, they said to him, Lord, what was that all about? I've always been a great admirer of Jesus, naturally, because here he used an agricultural illustration quite simply because the folks would understand it. It was a countryside community. I've always been a great believer in communicating with people in a way in which they'll understand and also in length of time, which is an assurance to you that I won't go over my time this morning. Because Jesus used everyday things to talk about spiritual things. And we need to be very careful if we're involved in any form of communication with a a godless society as it is now that we communicate in a way they understand. A dear old pastor who I once knew told me this. I prepare my sermons with the Daily Telegraph in one hand and a Bible in the other because he wanted to be totally relevant each time he shared God's word. So here we are. We read the story. Thank you so much for that. The man has taken time to sow his field with the good seed. However, during the night, the enemy comes along, sows sows the seeds of the weeds, and they start to grow. Having done a little bit of research, apparently this was fairly commonplace. Instead of going next door to the barn and putting graffiti all over it or causing mayhem in the farm, what they did was this during the night so that it would limit the crops of their competitors. And it's a type of grass weed that looks like wheat when it first comes up. So who are the characters then? Well, we we got that in the reading, didn't we? There's the, the good seed. Who is it? What is it? It's the people who are converted born again, saved, whatever word you would like to use through the preaching of God's word. You've then got the field. What is the field? The field is society, the world. The sower, who's the sower? It's the Lord Jesus Christ himself sowing believers in various places. Right now in Straven, there's a church service taking place and somebody is standing in a pulpit speaking as is happening throughout our city and throughout our country. Sowing believers in various places. But whenever this happens, Satan, the devil, comes along and sows counterfeits. Just as an aside, I was a bit disappointed on the program last night, Anton Dex Takeaway. I don't know if you saw it. The devil? And the light-hearted way, what hell was referred to, etc., etc. I thoroughly enjoyed bits of it, but I was disappointed in that. Let's make not light of what the devil talks about Satan and the devil being relevant and real and hell being actual. We need to keep that in our mind. So the sore of the, the tears of the weeds, let's call them weeds, shall we? It's the devil himself. And who are the weeds? Well, they're non-believers. Folks who might talk appropriately, but actually don't have a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus. So that's the characters behind the the whole story. What are the lessons? Well, the lessons are that there's a real battle going on in our society between the spiritual forces of God and the spiritual evil that's there. Number two is this. 
that God sends the rain and the sun on the just and the unjust. The weeds and the wheat benefited from what came from God. If you remember the book of Psalms, David often bemoaned that. He said, how do these unjust people, how do these ungodly people still benefit from what God sends? Well, that's our God. He sends the rain and the sunshine, sometimes too much rain, but he sends that on the just and the unjust. And number three is this. The Lord of the harvest bears out the end product. Always remember that. So here we are, the natural tendency of the farm workers is to go and pull up the weeds because they've worked hard, they want it to be the best, they see that happening and they say, oh, oh, we need to go and pull that up. What does the farmer owner say? Well, no, sorry chaps, let's leave it because if you pull out the, if you pull out the weeds just now, <clears throat> what will happen is you'll damage the real wheat because the roots will be all intermingled with it and will spoil a crop. When harvest comes, he tells them, we'll be able to distinguish the wheat from the weeds. What will happen to the weeds is they'll be taken away, they'll be burned, cast aside, and the wheat will be stored and used. You see, the weed here, it resembled the wheat, but it did not develop a head like wheat does. And so at the end of the day, it was revealed which was positive and which was negative. You know, the, the devil's in the business of killing and stealing and destroying. There are some words in Matthew which are quite important for us. It says this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. I need to tell you this, there are counterfeit Christians out there, even planted within some of our churches. We don't like to think that, but it's true. And the devil is seeking to prevent growth by whatever means he can provide and he can find. I'm a great hero, or Chuck Swindoll is one of my great heroes, and in his wonderful book, Grace Awakening, he tells a tremendous story that centers around peanut butter, of all things. I don't know if any of you like peanut butter. Personally, I don't. But I see my grandchildren putting it on their toast and all the rest of it. But here's the story. Several months ago, Chuck Swindle says he was conversing with a man he admires greatly. He was a Christian leader in a position that carries a heavy and extreme responsibility. He said he grieved on behalf of a missionary family he and his wife had known from years, for years. The legalism they'd encountered again and again in the mission field from fellow missionaries was so petty, so unbelievably small-minded, they had returned to the States and no longer planned to remain career missionaries. It was all over a jar of peanut butter. I thought he was joking. So did I. Probably so did you. To which he responded, no, it's no joke at all. I could hardly believe the story, Chuck Swindle says. The particular place they were went to serve the Lord did not have access to peanut butter. This particular family happened to enjoy peanut butter a great deal. Rather creatively, they made arrangements with some of their friends in the States to send them peanut butter every now and then so they could enjoy it with their meals. The problem is they didn't know until they started receiving their supply of peanut butter that the other missionaries considered it a mark of spirituality that you do not have peanut butter with your meals. I suppose the line went something like this. We believe that since we can't get peanut butter here, we should give it up for the cause of Christ. 
or some other such nonsense. A basis of spirituality was bearing the cross of living without peanut butter. The young family didn't buy into that line of thinking. Their family kept getting regular shipments of peanut butter. They didn't flaunt it. They just enjoyed it in the privacy of their own home. Pressure began to intensify. You would expect adult missionaries to be big enough to let others eat what they please, right? Wrong. The legalism was so petty, the pressure got so intense, and the exclusive treatment so unfair it finished them off spiritually. They finally had enough. Unable to continue against the mounting pressure, they packed it in and were soon homeward bound, disillusioned, and probably a bit cynical. What we have here, says Charles Swindle, is a classic modern-day example of a group of squint-eyed legalists spying out and attacking another's liberty. Not even missionaries are exempt. Neutralizing the work of Christ. And it came from apparently God's own people. Be very careful, folks, in how we judge others or look at others. God is a true judge. Let's be careful that legalism doesn't creep in. Let's believe that we're not, uh, let's be careful we're not judging others against their own standards because their standards might be different. But the devil's also anxious to add to or take away from the actual message of Jesus. Here's what John says in 1 John chapter 4. Friends, he says, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. We need to test what we're hearing and what we're seeing, and whether Jesus Christ is acknowledged as the Son of God. They're actually quite difficult to spot. Because when this began to grow, it looked just the same, the wheat and the tares. Everybody looked just the same. How did they spot the difference? Your children's talk was spot on with this. In 2 Corinthians 11 and 26, Paul says this. He refers to false brethren. Now, I need to clarify that. I'm a brethren boy. What he meant here was not the brethren sect that we have and that many of us are fond of and perhaps members of, etc., but he was talking about Christians in general, not a particular denomination. But Paul is warning them to look out for false brethren. Because what? They said all the right things. They sung all the right words. They communicated appropriately and they commented appropriately. They were on a church roll, and they've probably been on that church roll for years. Maybe haven't been to the actual church for many a long time, but dare their name be removed from that? Not a bit of it. They look like a Christian. When I was in my teens, I went to the city hall in Glasgow. There was an event organized that came under a Verticomus Christian banner. I went for two nights running, and it it became distinctly um, the case that this was not Christian at all. It was a sect over from the States who were infiltrating the Glasgow scene at that particular time. We're actually talking 50 years ago here now when I think about that. But that was happening then, and it's happening still. 
said all the right things, sung all the right things, but they weren't true born-again Christians. There's also look-alike prophets. Here's what Galatians says in chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. What is that gospel? The gospel is that Jesus Christ came, born of the Virgin Mary. He grew up, he died on a cross, he gave his life for us, he rose again and he's now in heaven and he's coming again. That's the gospel summed up very briefly. If anybody preaches anything else than that, we need to question it according to scripture it could be as we're hearing we're actually all god's children no matter what we're all god's family we'll we'll be fine by the way folks here's another one it depends on your works or your donations just keep funding and you'll be just fine another one is this positive thinking just a faith faith in what well you choose You choose what you want to have faith in, that'll be fine in the end. There's even false messiahs. Some of us might be old enough to remember an interview with Terry Wogan back in 1991. David Icke, he was a footballer, a sports presenter, and in the Terry Wogan show, he claimed to be the son of God. Terry Wogan was an insight interviewer. The audience were chuckling away, and he said to David Icke, David... They're laughing at you, not with you. Very insightful comment. But the Christians should not be surprised that all this is happening. And many of us are Christian folks this morning. We shouldn't be surprised all this is going on out there. Remember the words of Jesus in John 15, verses 18 to 19. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Don't expect an easy ride, folks, if we claim to be followers of Jesus. We might be ridiculed, face criticism, and worse, as is happening to many of our fellow believers elsewhere. Christ foretold that. So how do we respond to this parable as the clock ticks over the midday hour? Well, The servants wanted to go out and eradicate them from the field. We rush to judge and can be very judgmental. Remember that lovely phrase that Jesus used? You look at the speck in your friend's eye, but actually there's a whopping big log in your own eye. Be careful how we judge others. There's a lovely story first told by Charles Price about a student who came to faith at university and he was renowned he had long hair god bless him he was a jeans and a t-shirt and wore flip-flops all the time and he came to faith and he decided to go to a church not too far away from the university which i don't like the phrase but would be regarded as a pretty middle class church and he went in on a sunday morning and the place was busy and as he wandered down folks made it quite difficult for him to sit they looked at him and thought, oh dear. And they moved up to the end of the row till eventually reached the front 
And realising there was nowhere to sit, he plonked himself down in the aisle just in front of the pulpit, and you could just hear it. The tut-tuts and the, oh my, dear, 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 dear. Gene, did you see? Oh, it wouldn't be Gene, it would be Horatio, did you see that? And so on. And then there's the deacon who was at the door. An elderly man with a walking stick, very well turned out, started to walk down the aisle, and it was a floor just like yours. The tapping of the stick came down, and people were saying, yes, he'll just tell him what he thinks. He came down, and he took the man's hand, and he shook his hand, and with great difficulty, he plonked himself down in the floor beside him, and you could have heard a pin drop. The minister got up to took the service, and he said this, you'll actually forget what I'm going to say today because we only remember about 10% of what we hear. But what you will do, church, is you'll remember what you've seen because we remember 80% of what we see according to those who know these things. And the church was transformed and they started a work out at the university. Why? Because everybody was judgmental, but one person chose not to be. And the place was transformed. Why am I saying all that? Church, let's not judge. Let's care for each other as you start this building project. Let's work together for the glory of God as we prayed. That God will bless. But be in the lookout, please, for those in our midst who seek to disrupt and be counterfeit because they are there, I assure you. And I'm not talking about Fernie Hill or Straven Evangelical. I'm talking about churches in general. But keep our eyes alert for those who are, inverted commas, counterfeit and imposters. Warren Wearsby, that great preacher and teacher and commentator, said this, Our task is not to pull up the false, but plant the true. We keep thinking positive. We keep putting forward the message of Jesus and the false will be found out in that way. And I finish with John Newton, the slave trader who was converted to Christ, the author of that wonderful hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. He was once asked about heaven. Mr. Newton, tell me what you think about heaven. Here's what he said. You'll be surprised who is there who he did not think would be there. He was surprised who is not there by who he thought would be there. But he said this, the biggest surprise of all is that I am there. Before we look outwardly, let's look inwardly. There's a danger we could become false, counterfeit, and take our eyes off Jesus. God bless us in our lives as we work together, worship together and serve together. And may we always be true to our Lord Jesus until, as our hymns remind us, he comes again or we see him face to face. Let's pray together and then the band, I think, have got a song. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you so much for your holy words. These words down through the centuries are just totally relevant. They were then, they are now. These rambling words, dear God, take what was from you and use it for your glory. And may we live for Jesus. 
those of us who know you and trust you and follow you, may we be positive, acknowledge you in all our ways and all our days. And if we have still to find you, encourage us to explore the wonderful message of Jesus and his life for us and his death for us and his resurrection is coming again. We praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, band.